We'll be reading from Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women were two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who is a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing our series in the book of uh, Galatians, and I'd invite you to keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking at the verses that John read for us earlier, which is chapter 4, 21 through the end of the chapter. And, and let me just try to uh, let you know how the book is working so far. Um, Paul is, is making what we would call theological arguments for why any system of works, including the Old Testament law, will not bring mankind into relationship with God. That the only way that that relationship with God can be an established and, and maintained is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done by his death and his resurrection. And it is not surprising that Paul uses the Bible to make his arguments. Uh, through the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul relies almost exclusively on what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible to make his arguments and his points. And, and I want to point out that the people that he is writing to are Gentiles. So they did not grow up with any history or background or, or understanding of what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. But nonetheless, Paul argues from the scriptures to make his point. Uh, which just is a, a great reminder to us that if, if we are to understand the book of Galatians, Paul makes it clear that we need to understand the Old Testament. And this morning's text is, is no different because he argues from the book of Isaiah, he argues from the book of Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible. And um, so if we, as predominantly Gentiles, are going to understand the New Testament, we also need to understand 
the Old Testament. And so I just encourage you to, uh, to uh, find yourselves in the Old Testament. It's one of the reasons why I preach so much there. And Paul's argument this morning is not surprisingly made <clears throat> from what we call the Old Testament. In, in next week, we're going to begin what a lot of people want to call the practical selection, uh, section of the book of Galatians. He's not going to leave the Old Testament behind. He's not going to leave theology behind. He's not going to leave his arguments behind, but he's going to start to tell his people, these are the implications of what I have told you thus far, and this is what you should do with it, and this is how it should affect your behavior. And so if you've been waiting for that point, all this background is, is of critical importance. So by way of introduction, and I'll be a couple of minutes in this introduction before we actually get to the text, let me uh, give you some of my hypotheses. Mankind, I believe, and, and I think if you think about it, you may come to agree with me as well, likes systems. I mean, you may people may not know it, but but we do. We like parameters that are that are built in, and it, it's why when we were kids and we were given our first coloring books, the first things that we were told is draw inside the lines. Color didn't matter all that much. Composition was much less important, but. But if you were ever graded on a coloring book, and, and most of us were not, it, it, you were graded by how well you kept within the lines, and, and the comments were, were made accordingly. And, and so we, we've grown up with this kind of thinking, I think, from a very early age. All religions are, are systems, and, and all religions are, are man-made to be really frank with you, and, and mankind loves them. He loves systems. He loves man-made things. He loves, consequently, religion because it, it gives them a series of do's and don'ts and, and tells them where the lines are. Um, he may have a, a, a self-made religion, uh, he may which is man-made, or he may go someplace that is... Uh, a religious place, and, and it's there that he can get comfort and feel good because that place or his own system will tell him, I'm doing fine. Um, you know, here are the set of the rules, here are the set of parameters, and, and you're staying nicely within the lines, and we like to hear that, and, and so we feel comfortable going to religious places, whether they're made by ourselves or <clears throat> made by somebody else. Now, Christianity is different, and I'm going to argue that Christianity is not a religion. And I'll tell you why. Christianity was created by God and not by man. Um, if, if there are parameters, they're divine parameters. They're not man-made parameters. Uh, if there are ideas that God deems to be important, they're God-made, not man-made. Now, the confusion comes in because in the Bible before Christ came, God instituted what the Bible calls the law. And we find a, a big section of the Old Testament 
to be there. And, and it really wasn't relationship, and it really wasn't established to say, this is how man has a relationship with God. But mankind got a hold of it, you see. Mankind got what was God's revelation of himself, and, and what God told humanity, he thought about humanity. And, and mankind got a hold of that and turned it into religion. You see, the law was designed to say, here is a holy God, and, and here's what he looks like, and this is what righteousness and holiness looks like, and, and here's a picture of humanity who cannot uphold this standard on any level, and it pointed out the gap between man and God, and, and it, it acted as a burden in some ways because it pointed out man's sins, his problems, the things that separated him from God. And it also acted as a guardian because there were parameters. And God says, these are things that you should not do. And here are things that you should do uh, in, in order to look more like me and to also make you aware that there is a gap between us and that the only way that that gap can be filled is if I fill it. And that was the role of the law, but humanity got a hold of it and said, no, we love parameters and we love do's and don'ts. And, and so what we're going to turn it into is a system that says, if you can adhere to the system, you will have a relationship with God. And so the law has been misunderstood really since its inception, because we like to be inside the lines. And we want a relationship with God. And, and God created and revealed himself to us. And, and we like seeing those things. And so we're, we're going to develop a system. And that started at the very beginning and all the way, went, all the way up to Jesus' day. And to a very large extent, it continues today. And it may be a Jewish system like the Old Testament law, but, but mankind has developed all kinds of them, you know. This is how we measure how we're doing, and this is how we're doing before God because I, I've got a list and I can tell you that I'm, I'm doing just fine. Well, well, the people in the days of the Galatians who were Paul's detractors had come to the churches in Galatia and said, you must adhere to the law of God from the Old Testament, become Jewish in order to have a relationship with God. It is signified by a lot of things. It's signified by what you eat and what you don't eat. It's signified by circumcision and, and so on and so forth. But we are here to tell you that the only way that you can have a relationship with God is by adhering to this system. And they were compelling because the law was given by God and it could be seen in Scripture. But like I say, they had twisted it and they had perverted it and they had made it into a man-made system. There was nothing ever wrong with the law. As a matter of fact, the law is perfect. It is, in fact, God-given. But its purpose was to display the gap that existed between man and God and cause 
a few people to put faith and trust in the reality that God was going to bridge that gap. But man turned it into something that must be adhered to in order to have relationship with God. So what Paul does in this argument that we're going to look at here this morning is, is, uh, is he argues from the same Bible that these people alluded to and perverted and uses that same Old Testament and says, I, I want to explain to you what God's word really says and how you can genuinely understand how that gap is bridged and what the purpose of the law was and how man actually has a relationship with God and how we can become sons of Abraham. Because Abraham was the father of it all, you see. And these people were arguing, let me tell you how you can have a relationship with God. It's not through Christ, but it's by becoming a son of Abraham by obeying what God has given to us in the past. And so Paul begins, and, and he, he uses um, a story that that. The Galatians, I think, would have had some familiarity with, but that the people, the Judaizers who had come to the Galatians, would have known very, very well. And, and just keep this in mind, that the issue at hand is, how does one have a relationship with God? And for today's purposes, we're going to say, that relationship with God calls you a son of Abraham. How do you become a son of Abraham? Well, these guys were saying you got to become Jewish, you got to adhere to the law, and Paul has something vastly different to say. In verse 21, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? There's the question. You want to be under the law. You believe that the law is the vehicle by which you're going to have relationship with God. But do you really understand it? Do you understand how it was? So let's talk about Abraham for just a minute. We, several weeks ago, looked at some of the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15. And, and two of those promises were to Abraham that, that through your seed, through your body, by your procreation, you are going to be the father of a great nation, and that through your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And it was this that Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, there was a problem following these promises, because Abraham was fairly old, and his wife was considerably older. Now, some of you know this story, but maybe not everybody here does. And so in Genesis chapter 16, this is what ha happened. Abraham's wife, whose name was Sarah, she had a slave who was kind of her live-in maid, whose name was Hagar. And Hagar was from Egypt. Now, now that in and of itself is a, a future irony. But, uh, but, but they didn't see any children coming to Abraham and Sarah. Because she was about 90 years old and Abraham was bucking 100 and so Sarah had an idea, and she said to Abraham, I want you to go have an affair with my slave, Hagar, 
and I want you to have a child by her. And that's exactly what happened. He had an affair with Hagar, and she gave birth to a son whose name was Ishmael. So, so Abraham had this son of a slave woman, and, and 13 years or 14 years go by. And, and God says, that is not the way that I saw my promise to you being fulfilled. I'm here to tell you that my promise is going to be fulfilled, not only through your seed, Abraham, but through your wife, Sarah. And lo and behold, Sarah gets pregnant. Now, it's a marvel, it's a miracle, it's a mystery, it's all kinds of different things. But she gives birth to a son whose name is Isaac. And then what happens, now keep in mind that Ishmael is 14 years old. He's got a bond that has developed with his father, Abraham. They're fairly close because for 14 years, Abraham anticipated that his son, Ishmael, was going to be the heir of the promise because there had been no other children showing up. But now there is Isaac. And so in Genesis 21, Isaac is born and Ishmael thinks this is funny. He finds it hilarious and it tells us in Genesis 21 that he mocks and he laughs at Isaac and at, Hag at uh, Sarah. I mean, who wouldn't find it funny? For two reasons. Ishmael has an established relationship with Abraham. And here's this old lady nursing a baby. That, that's so out of place. But Sarah, not surprisingly, the mother of Isaac says there is no way that Ishmael is going to be our heir. And so she has a conversation with Abraham and tells Abraham, I want you to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. And so they are with a little bit of water driven into the desert by Abraham to die. It says they run out of water and, and, and Hagar puts Ishmael under a bush and she goes a long distance off so she can't hear her son die. And God intervenes and spares them both. But nonetheless, God has told Abraham, the son of promise is going to be your son Isaac. He is going to be the one through whom the promises that I made to you are going to be fulfilled. So that's the backdrop, you see. There is a son of Abraham who is a slave, and there is a son of Abraham who is the son of promise. Fourteen years apart, they both become nations, but one of them, and only one of them, is going to be the nation through whom God fulfills his promise. And it's based on this story that Paul makes his argument in the text today. Look with me at verse 22 now, please. In 22, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. That's the story I just recounted to you from, from Genesis. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Does that make sense? 
Uh, Abraham and Sarah kind of thought, well, the only logical way that the promise is going to go forward is if I take matters into my own hands and, and I have an affair with my wife's uh, slave and, and bear a child by her. But God said, no, 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 no. The, the true son of promise is going to be the, woman, the one that comes from your wife, Sarah. So you got a slave and you, and you have a son of promise. Now, now, Paul continues in verse 24, and he's explaining this, and, and, and he says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, now we read that verse, and it is just a verse we're waiting for me to go to the next one. In other words, it means nothing to us. But to the Galatian people, and most importantly to the Judaizers who had tried to come to them and convince them that the only way they could be a child of Abraham, the only way that they could have a relationship with God, was if they became Jewish and obeyed the Old Testament law. But here what Paul does, he says, I'm speaking allegorically, but the women are two covenants. And the first woman, that is Hagar, the slave, she is from Mount Sinai. Now, what does that mean? You see, the law of God was given on Mount Sinai in the desert of Arabia. And this is not shocking to us, but it would have been horrifying to these people because Paul is equating Hagar and her son Ishmael with the law that came on Mount Sinai. And he is saying that while Hagar's son Ishmael is, is the son of a slave, the law that came on Mount Sinai also makes you slaves. They've been talking about how you become a son of Abraham. How do they say it? By obeying the law. Paul says that the law makes you a slave. You see? This is his argument. This is how he is using this story. And... She is bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Well, what is Jerusalem at the time in 48 AD when this book is written? Jerusalem, of course, naturally, is the center of all of Judaism. It is the place that represents quite frankly, at this period of time, the man-made system, what man has turned God's law into. You see what I'm saying? And it's from Jerusalem that these people have come to Galatia. Now, don't get me wrong, the church is active and, and people are talking about faith in Christ as being how we have relationship with God and, and so on and so forth, but Jerusalem here represents the law represents the people who are telling you that the only way you can have a relationship with God is by observing the law. And, and Paul says that place is a place that breeds slaves. 
by telling people they need to adhere to the law. But he says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Now, up to this point, and we don't have time to unpack it all, but up to this point, Paul has been talking in the book of Galatians, as uh, uh, first of all, about the fundamental principles of this world that need to be left behind. And, and the new age to come, the freedom which is in Christ, how people who have faith in him actually have a relationship with God through him. And he says, our Jerusalem... Those who actually have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, our Jerusalem is free. It's not a slave. It's something vastly and entirely different. And she is our mother. Unlike Hagar, who only gives birth to slaves... The faith that comes through Christ and gives you relationship with God is free, and that is our mother. He is painting this picture of contrast. And so in verse 27, what Paul does is he quotes from the book of Isaiah. Now let me just remind us of what is going on in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah is writing. The nation of Israel is under slavery to a foreign nation. And they are lamenting and they are beyond me, I'm sorry, bemoaning the reality that they're not free. Their nation has been taken away from them. The promises of God, so to speak, are not visible at the point in time when Isaiah is being written, you see. But Isaiah writes these words and Paul here quotes them to make his point. He says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those who have had a husband. In other words, Isaiah writes, There is coming a time when you will be free, when you will be a great nation, and the children that will be born and the children of prosperity will be greater than anything that you've ever experienced in the past. That's why you can rejoice. And Paul here uses Isaiah to say, don't you understand? When you're under the law, you're under slavery, but there is coming a time when, and the time is now through Christ, that you will be the children of promise and you will see the promise fulfilled. So he continues, and I think verse 28 is probably the crux of the text, and I'll explain why. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Now, now again, that's, that's a great sound bite, and it sounds wonderful. But to whom is Paul speaking? Paul is speaking to Gentiles. People just like you and me. He's speaking to people without a Jewish background. But he's saying, you brothers, like Isaac, who was actually Abraham's physical son, you are children of the promise, the promise made to Abraham. 
you are as much a child of God as the very first child of promise who was Isaac. And you have been made that child by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by trying to do things to earn your relationship with God. That only puts you under slavery and makes you a child of slavery. And he's saying this to Gentiles. You're children of the promise. That's who we are. And Paul has already said in the book that we are, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise in chapter 3, verse 14. Paul has said, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That's what everything has been pointing up to. That was the purpose of the law. This is the vehicle by which the gap between man and God is bridged through the Lord Jesus by faith in him and by faith alone in him. And so he concludes, but just as at this time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. He is referring back to Genesis 21, when Ishmael mocked and made fun of his now new brother, who made fun of Sarah, the mother of Isaac, when it says he persecuted him who was born of the Spirit. This one who was the son of a slave is making fun of the one who was born into freedom, born a son of promise. Has anything changed? Nothing has ever changed. People like systems and they want to put themselves under systems and they want to take other people and make them slaves of things. And they mock and they deride the freedom that is in Christ. They don't believe the message that the only way mankind can have a relationship with God is through the death of his son. Nothing is new under the sun. And he continues in chapter 30, and here he again quotes back Genesis chapter 21. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. I mean, this is radical stuff. Now, I'm not taking pop shots at the law. The last thing I'm doing is taking shots at the Old Testament. But Paul is saying the purpose of the law was short-lived. It was done. To bring yourself back under the law is to put yourself under slavery. Don't follow the son of the slave woman. Follow the son of promise. That's the whole point. There is freedom in the promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ. Cast out that which is done and past and long gone. Because he says in verse 31, So you brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. I mean, it's one of the great mysteries of God 
that these people were telling other people, you got to be Jewish to have a relationship with God. Paul is saying, you're as much a child of Abraham, you're as, you're as Jewish as you're ever going to get by being a child of promise, by putting your faith in Christ who fulfilled all the promises of God. What freedom there is in Christ. Now we're going to talk a lot about freedom in the next couple of weeks and it it may seem confusing because there are those who like man-made systems. And they say, if I have freedom in Christ, that means I can do anything I want because I'm saved. I'm a child of promise. I'm okay. If you're a child of promise... We act like children of promise. And we need to be told what that looks like. Not by man, but by God. And if we act like children of promise, I will tell you, you can do anything you want. (laughs) Because you're a child of promise. Because if you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus, how do you want to live? We don't live like pagans. We don't live to serve our own desires. We don't live to chase money or position or prestige. We live to our king who has fulfilled his promise in us. It's it's really that simple, but Paul uses the scripture so beautifully to counteract all the perverse twisting of the scriptures that was being used by these others. Do you want to be a child of a slave or do you want to be a child of promise? Is really what it boils down to. Complicated text. I hope I've been clear, but this is what Paul is arguing. And my hope and prayer for us is that we desire to live as children of promise. Let me pray. Father in heaven, there is no, there is no thing, person, entity on earth does, that deserves any praise or any glory aside from you. For you have fulfilled your promises completely and fully in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And consequently, you have made us children of promise. We have done nothing to deserve it, but to believe on any level that we can earn your favor is actually to make ourselves slaves. What an irony. In the effort to make ourselves free, we make ourselves slaves. But it is only through Christ and faith and trust in him that we are delivered. All praise belongs to him. Amen.